Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. So 2 Samuel 19. This is the word of the Lord. Then it was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourns for Absalom. The victory that day was turned to mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. So the people went by stealth into the city that day, as people who are humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. The king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice, O my son, Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, by loving those who hate you and by hating those who love you. For you have shown today that princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know this day that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out, and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. So the king arose and sat in the gate, and when they told all the people, saying, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate, then all the people came before the king. Now Israel had fled each to his tent. All the people were quarreling throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines, but now he has fled out of the land of Ab- from Absalom. However, Absalom, whom he, we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now then, why are you silent about bringing the king back? And King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the word of, the Israel, of all Israel has come to the king, even to his house? You are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the last to bring back the king? Say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me, and more also, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Thus, He turned the hearts of all the men of Judah as one man, so that they sent word to the king, saying, Return, you and all your servants. The king then returned and came as far as the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal in order to go to meet the king, to bring the king across the Jordan. Then Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite who is from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they rushed to the Jordan before the king. Then they kept crossing the ford to bring over the king's household and to do what was good in his sight. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan. So he said to the king, Let, my, let not my lord consider me guilty. Nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my lord the king came out from Jerusalem, so that the king would take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, 
the first of all the house of Judah to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said, Should not Shimei be put to death for this, because he has cursed the Lord's anointed? David then said, What have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be an adversary to me? Should any man be put to death in Israel today? For do I not know that I am king over Israel today? The king said to Shimei, You shall not die. Thus the king swore to him. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes, from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. It was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So he answered, O my lord, the king, my servant deceived me, for your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God, therefore do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you still speak of your affairs? I have decided you and Ziba shall divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, Let him even take it all, since my lord the king has come safely to his own house. Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on to the Jordan with the king to escort him over the Jordan. Now Barzillai was very old, being 80 years old, and he had sustained the king while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. The king said to Barzillai, You cross over with me, and I will sustain you in Jerusalem with me. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I yet to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am now eighty years old. Can I distinguish between good and bad? Or can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Or can I hear any more the voice of singing men and women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord the king? Your servant would merely cross over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king compensate me with this reward? Please, let your servant return that I may die in my own city, near the grave of my father and my mother. However, here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what is good in your sight. The king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me. And I will do for him what is good in your sight. And whatever you require of me, I will do for you. All the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too. The king then kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. Now the king went to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him. And all the people of Judah, and all, also half the people of Israel, accompanied the king. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why had our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over the Jordan? Then all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative to us. Why then are you angry about this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense or has anything been taken for us? But the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten parts in the king, therefore we also have more claim on David than you. Why then did you treat us with contempt? Was it not our advice first to bring back our king? 
Yet the words of the men of Judah were harsher than the words of the men of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Everybody still hearing me okay? Give me a thumbs up. All right. Well, a little bit of review. That's a long chapter. The previous chapter, you remember um, Absalom, the king's son, had been killed, right? At the hands of Joab's men, at the really at the hands of Joab. And you remember at the end of that chapter, of chapter 18, that we read of David's grief, that uh, agony, um, that grief that as we talked about it, I figured was both good and bad. Um, uh, He, he, um, you remember this, the last verse of chapter 18, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said, as he walked, O my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. And then, of course, that repeats in the chapter that we just looked at. And this grief is perhaps understandable as a father losing his son. It's less understandable as a king with a treasonous member of his country, right? That, that would have required certain, the law required certain things to be done in that circumstance. And yet the grief is understandable as a father. Now, now we learn in this chapter about the, the fallout of David of David's grief. There's fallout from it. And Joab comes to him and talk about a mixed bag. If there's any guy in scripture that's a mixed bag, Joab certainly is that. At times it seems like he's doing evil and uh, and it is basically David's henchman. At other times, he has advice, and it's wise and helpful. Well, in this case, you know, this man Joab, who's been by David's side through his reign, doing doing dirty work, doing things like we read of today, he he tells David, "You've you've ruined this victory. You have by your grief." you have turned what should be rejoicing into mourning. Uh, imagine, imagine if our country hadn't celebrated VE Day, right? Or VJ Day back in the 40s. Think if, if we had participated in those world wars and when it was over, you know, maybe because Roosevelt died, we just went into grieving and never really... Rejoice that God had given us the victory. Um, Or imagine if Truman uh, lost a son in battle and called for the country after the war was over not to celebrate victory but to grieve for his son. Right? The the cathartic joy um, would be stifled and the con- the consequence would uh, of that would likely be a fracturing further of the nation right the unifying moment would be lost and so um you see what happens in verse 3 
The king is still grieving, right? Joab learns about it. And look what happens. The people went by stealth into the city that day as people who were humiliated steal away when they flee in battle. And so all these, uh, the, the ones who fought for David just slink back into the city, um, ashamed and humiliated. Uh, they slink back into the city. And then again, we see after that, David's grief. The king covered his face. He cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And then Joab enters the king's house. And Joab's words are intense. Joab's words are so intense that I would, I would say that they go beyond exhortation to the point of threat. Joab is threatening David, and we'll see that as we walk through this. But he, he tells David, you've, you've covered the faces of your men in shame. You owe them the lives of your sons, your daughters, your wives, your concubines, your entire household. Um, you've, he, in the middle of it, uh, Joab says, you have loved those who hate you and you have hated those who love you. Very intense statement. Um, these men, he says, mean nothing to you. And then this striking statement, if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, you would be pleased. And that is, that's getting about as pointed as you can get. Um, now, and then he, he conclu concludes, go speak to your men. Uh, go speak to all Israel. Now, therefore, verse 7, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear... Listen to what he says, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you, and this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. I swear by the Lord. It's almost, it reads like a threat. It reads like, <clears throat> like Joab is going to do something, or Joab is once again wrangling for the leadership of the nation. Uh because of David's failures. And so, um, so a couple, couple applications that come out of that to, to me that we'll return to later. Uh, sometimes men need a kick in the, in the gut to lead, right? David needed a kick in the gut in order to lead this nation that God had put him over. Sometimes our self-pity, sometimes our, our navel-gazing can be so debilitating that we allow everything around us just to crumble, right? Men, right? Men have a tendency to, um, to want to bury their heads in the sand, right? And especially if they're hit hard with something, right? David was hit hard by the death of his son, and he just wants to stay in grief, he wants to forsake all the other responsibilities that God has given to him, like leading the nation, like leading his own family, like um, representing the Lord to the people by ruling, right? And Joab needs to kick him in the gut, and he does. Praise God for those friends or elders who will wake us from our slumber at times, right? Who will, who will remind us that we need uh, to get back in the game.
but you know, the other thing is that I think about leadership can't wait until you feel like leading. Man, leadership can't wait until you feel like leading. David needed to lead the country. The country, as we see in the bookends, the beginning, the end of this chapter, the country is not unified. Israel's going after Judah and Judah's going after Israel. And, you know, the, and what do we see at the beginning of chapter 20? The next revolt against the power of David. Right? Sheba's revolt. And so David desperately needs to lead, and we as men desperately need to lead our homes. If you wait to lead until you feel like leading, you will never lead. Right? You will never lead. And leadership requires setting aside your feelings and doing what is right always. Right? Um, <clears throat> but on the other hand, praise God for Joab kicking David in the gut. On the other hand, Joab is being insubordinate. Joab does not know his place. There's a sense in which Joab, uh, we can be thankful for him kicking David in the gut. There's another sense in which there is no reason for Joab to be treating David like an equal or an inferior. Joab doesn't know his place. Joab doesn't carry his authority right. So he needs to know his place and... And if he knew his place, I think his language and his approach would have been much more dignified than the approach that he took. Uh, once you descend to, um, well, this is convicting. Once you descend to disciplining those around you with threats, like I did with my son the other night, it's sin. Right? You cannot threaten um, that's not helpful. That's, um, that's, it's not, uh, discipleship. That's for sure. So finally coming around to verse eight, David gets up, he goes to his men, very short description of what happens here. He turns, um, you know, he, he rose, he goes to the gate. Right, and the armies pass before him, and they see their man. Uh, behold, the king is sitting in the gate. Then all the people came before the king, and so uh, this is sort of the the reinstatement of David as king. He's come back to Jerusalem. He's back on the throne. He's back at the gates, ruling the people. And then in the second half of verse eight, it turns toward those who um, fought for Absalom. Uh, verse 9 through 10 show the tribes of Israel regretting they had followed Absalom and contemplating David's return to the throne, right? They, they say, well, David's dead. Now then, why, why are you silent about bringing the king back? They're trying to figure out how uh, they come back into the equation here. David's response to them, to Judah, he sends his priests, Zadak and Abiathar, you know, what's going on here? There are divisions in Israel. Judah, um, we see described in um, these bookend sections, like I said. Uh, Judah Judah must back the king. They are his own tribe, and yet Israel is trying to work back in. And so there's understandably tension between Israel and Judah. Um, notice also, just very slight reference here verse 13 
Say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? May God do so to me, and more also, if you will not be commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. Well, who's Amasa? Amasa is the man who ruled the armies for Absalom. Now, what's David doing here? Well, David, David is leading here. David is making strategic decisions. How is he to bring back a factured people? Well, he puts in charge of the army, the man who had been in charge of Israel's army with Absalom. Uh, and Joab, uh, in, in the place of Joab. And so very, a very striking political move um, for David to make at this point. Uh, it seems kind of treacherous. On the other hand, it's uh, a lot of political maneuvering is treacherous, right? <clears throat> so, so that's the first part of this. And then from 16 almost to the end of the chapter, we, we bump up against three people. Three people that in the previous like four or five chapters had, had um, interacted with David. Now they're coming back to David because David is coming back to Jerusalem and they're they're all trying to figure out their place in the kingdom now. Right? And so there's all kinds of questions. Uh and so we see we see these three interactions that David has with Shimei, with Mephibosheth, and with Barzillai. And lots of questions need to be answered. What what is David you know would David be able to regain Israel's confidence and love, the hearts that Absalom had stolen away? Would he, what would he do with traitors? What would, da you know, would David return and restore his allies to positions of leadership? Would David act wisely? Would he, um, as he did when he uh, first became king, to heal the divisions of the uh, nation? So what's going on here? But his response, in the end, is a mixed bag. We'll see David deal well. Uh, with his enemies, perhaps less well with his allies. Now, Shimei. Remember Shimei? When Shimei, Shimei kicked David when he was down. Shimei was the guy who was hurling curses at David when David was fleeing from Jerusalem. Um, he, uh, You can read about that in chapter 16, verses 5 through 14. Right? <clears throat> Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. Behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Right. So there's what, what Shimei was doing. And now he comes along, and he... He sees David restored to his throne. His uh, attitude, therefore, changes toward David, and he admits his sin. Right? Let not my Lord consider me guilty, nor remember what your servant did wrong on the day when my Lord the king came out of Jerusalem. So the king would take it to heart, for your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come today, the first of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet my Lord the king. Abishai, uh, Joab's brother, 
right? And nephew of, of David, um, son of Zeruiah, is like, let's, let's execute him. It's time for Shimei to be silenced. David says, no, should any man be put to death in Israel today? So David shows mercy to him, and he is also thinking, I think, politically, right? To, to commit as an, his first act coming back to Jerusalem to uh, slay somebody from one of the tribes of Israel would send... Uh, would perhaps lead to a fracturing further of the kingdom. But um, but Exodus 22.28 says that traitors should be executed. Abishai is trying to follow the law. David is being politically expedient. Um, but what do we know about the what happens with Shimei? What we have to remember about Shimei is that David on his deathbed tells Solomon, his son, to kill him for his cursing. So it's not as if David here in verse 23, you shall not die, is, is being, I mean, he hasn't forgiven this man. He hasn't pardoned this man. He has just said to him, you will not die. But clearly it was his intent to... Um, Again, politically not put him to death at this time, but his son Solomon was to put him to death. So David, in a sense, is being disingenuous here. Um, <clears throat> one commentary said the reason assigned by David here for not punishing the blasphemer as he had deserved by taking away his life would have been a very <clears throat> laudable one if the king had really forgiven him. But as David, when upon his deathbed, charged his successor to punish Shimei for his cursing, that's First Kings 2. The favor shown him was only a sign of David's weakness. That's what one of the commentators says, that it was a sign of David's weakness that he did not put him to death. I'm a little more split-minded on that. I think there were political reasons to delay his death, but not to put him to death. Uh, it's, it's easy to be... It's easy to be doctrinaire. That's a word that uh, came to my attention last week. Doctrinaire. Um, it, it means to uh, put in effect abstract doctrines or theories with no regard for practical difficulties. Right? Another word for doctrinaire would be dogmatic. Right? Abishai is like Exodus twenty two twenty eight. period. That's how we deal with this. David knows Exodus twenty two twenty eight, and also knows the fragile, uh, the the fragility of Israel at this moment. <clears throat> and so, do we want to call that weakness? That he would delay his execution, or do we want to call that wisdom? And I think if we took a poll, we'd find that some people believe it's weakness and some people think it's wisdom. Um, and those who think it's weakness would accuse those who think it's wisdom of being, of being uh, wishy-washy. And those who think it's 
uh, wisdom would call those who uh, think it's weakness of being rigid. I think David was thinking of the kingdom as the king and he was no longer considering things and and that because Joab had thrust him back in front of the people. Along comes Mephibosheth. We remember Mephibosheth. He was of the household of Saul. Uh, David had wanted to do something good for the household of Saul and, and Mephibosheth was one of the last of his house that David could bless. Uh, we read about that in chapter 16. We also read that David or Mephibosheth had a servant named Ziba. And Ziba was not uh, helpful to Mephibosheth. Ziba put um, <clears throat> uh, lied to the king and um, accused and said to King David that Mephibosheth was uh, a traitor, basically. And so you remember that David gave Ziba all of the land that he had given to Mephibosheth. And so now Mephibosheth comes back and says, look, that was all slander. Servant, my servant slandered me, and I have been with you, David, all along. And what is David's solution here? David's solution, you would think, would be, okay, I'm going to give back to to um, Mephibosheth all the land. But instead what he does is he brings it back to his original decision to give land to both Mephibosheth and to Ziba. He splits the land. And again, we, can th we think of this and we think, okay, is this weakness or is this wisdom? All right? And one commentary says he didn't have courage enough to retract it altogether. He didn't have courage enough. Well, he may not have had enough information to retract it all. He doesn't know who to trust, right? And so he, he brings it back to what he had originally determined and should more information come to him down the road, I'm sure um, potentially he would correct this injustice that's done and he would discipline Ziba. Um, so again, is it wisdom? Is it weakness? Um, that's open to interpretation. And then along comes Barzillai, not not a, a, a Japanese monster. I always think of Godzilla. I don't know why when I see this guy's name, uh, Barzillai. And he's an old man, says he's 80. Uh, I'm 80. I have no discernment, he says. I have no taste even. I have no hearing. Why in the world, you know, David had offered to bring him along and to care for him. And he said, why in the world should you worry about me? And um, why do you want to care for me? And so he suggests rather that, um, that David bless Chimham, which we take to be his Barzillai's son. And so um, Barzillai is caring for his son. And uh, David takes on his son to bless him and to go with him, to help him. So again, that one seems to be um, 
uh, doesn't seem to have much of much of the dilemma uh, of the other two, um, but it does show that David is caring for his people, and um, and so at that point all the people crossed over the Jordan, and the king crossed too, and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his place. So Barzillai goes home, presumably to die. And um, David goes on to lead the people. Then this last section is Judah and Israel bickering, right? You know, they want credit for who brought David back over the Jordan. They want credit for bringing David back. And, um, And they're not getting along. And that's obviously we know that the tension between Judah and Israel will last through the the rest of the kingdom until exile right there will be there will be tension between the houses of Israel so that's our passage just a few just to return to a few points of application and then we'll be um we'll be done um <clears throat> the first point of application as i thought about it is this leadership is always flawed Leadership has flaws because leadership, unless it's God's ultimate leadership, which is without flaw and is perfect, any other leadership is um, flawed with sin. But that does not mean the authority that leaders bear is illegitimate. Um, The thing that makes leadership legitimate is not whether it's perfect or imperfect it's whether god designates that leadership and gives that delegates that leadership and so uh, leadership is flawed and so i mean we can look at david's leadership and we shouldn't be surprised that a mere man david would make some good decisions and some sinful decisions and some glorious decisions and some just abysmal decisions. He's just like you and me, right? He's just like you and me. And, and, um, if you're, if gentlemen, if your, your wives had to submit to you, um, only when you were, only when you proved your perfection, well, um <clears throat> she would uh she would never have to submit to you she would never be able to submit to you um but ask her if if uh the difficulty of submitting to authority is having to submit to flawed leaders right that's always the difficulty um that's always the difficulty and so um you know we we see in this leadership of david the the struggles of a mere man to lead a stubborn people and um that makes me think about our decision as a church to submit to the governing authorities when it comes to uh, not gathering together for worship i mean we just read hebrews 10 about not forsaking the assembling together and it's convicting right are we forsaking the assembling together I don't think so. I think this is assembling together. It's just not the ideal form of assembling together. Um, But on the other hand, you know, 
why obey an authority that is has blood on their hands? Well, for the same reason that King David had men submit to him. He was a murderous adulterer. And yet he had men, if he told them to go left, they went left. And if he told them to go right, they went right. And they should have done that, right? And so uh, in this sense, we can't be doctrinaire. We can't be dogmatic. We um, are called to submit to uh, leadership, and leadership is always flawed. It's always flawed. When leadership is wicked in commanding us to do something that goes against the Word of God, well, at that point, then we say... um, we must obey God rather than man. Uh, think of Amasa for a second, this guy. Amasa. He, he was, had been against David. David puts him in place. And it just made me think that reconciliation is, is, is some of the hardest work that we'll ever do in our lives. Um, when we try to reconcile with those who have been against us, with those who have been... Um, just nasty toward us. I mean, Masa had been uh, ruling the the armies that were seeking to destroy David to to kill him. And here, David, for the sake of the nation, and political reasons, but also for the sake of reconciliation, puts him in place of Joab. One commentary said this, One's work can be undermined by friends as well as enemies. And the specific lesson is that Christian leaders must pay careful attention not only to the rightness of their actions, but to the symbolics of their actions. It is not enough to ask, Would I sin if I did this? Leaders must also ask, Is it the right time to do this? What message will I send if I do this? What message do I want to send? And what is the best way to send it? What is the rhetoric of my actions? And so David was, David was having to, to figure that out, right? Um, it, would I sin if I do this? I'm, I'm putting in place a traitor or, um, or when should I do this? Or what's the right time to do this? And given the fragile state of the nation... The time was was now to do that hard thing. Um, Again, if we go back to Shimei, Shimei, Shimei doesn't allow David to be doctrinaire like Abishai wants to be. Um, Shimei, whether to put him death, is a question of, is it right, but also, is it the right time? And so David has to uh, consider beyond just an abstract principle. He has to consider his context and what would be best at the time. I think this is where wisdom comes in, right? Uh, There are rules and there are wisdom. There's rules and and a required wisdom to apply rules. We, we have to be men who understand the times, like the sons of Issachar, um, not just men who understand the rules. 
And then finally, the last thing I'll say is this. There, we do, I mean, as we look at David, David is so all over the place. He's, he's at, at some times showing forth the mercy of Christ. At other times, he's showing forth the, the, the lusts of the flesh. Um, and, and it's, it's sobering, right? It's sobering about our own leadership. It's sobering about the, the, the state of, of leaders and just the state of men's hearts. But don't ever forget that with God, there is no unrighteousness in him. With God, there is no unrighteousness with him. There's no shifting shadow. There's no change. He has been perfect yesterday, today, and forever. He does not he does not make a decision and then realize it was the wrong decision or realize that it was a sinful decision. His will is holy, and all that he does is good and right. Um, James 1.17, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. All right, And that's why... That's the very reason why we could submit to imperfect leaders is because we know we have in God himself one who gives every perfect gift and loves us with a perfect love and protects us with an omnipotent power. And so we can rest. Um, We don't have to be shouting injustice, injustice, injustice everywhere we go and at every turn. And being whiners, we can suffer injustice and we can know that God is still seated on his throne and he will judge every act of men, right? You have God over you. He's a perfect leader. He calls you to obey flawed leaders. He will um, use those flaws, flawed leaders, for your good even, right? He will humble you by having having you submit to people who are Uh, less than you. And that's a good thing. That's good for all of us. Amen. Should I unmute us all so that you guys can give your own applications or is that going to be utter chaos? Are there any, any questions or thoughts that anybody wants to share? You can unmute yourself if, if you have a question like that. Any thing. Bueller. All right. Well, dear brothers and sisters, not hearing any, not seeing any unmutes, I'm going to close this in prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your servants in ages past and those who recorded your word for us that um, we might be able to look on uh, these examples and learn, as Paul says in First Timothy or First Corinthians ten, that we um, what we are to imitate that we are to imitate their faithfulness and we are to reject their wickedness. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us. Father, we pray we pray for the coming week. We read in the news that 
that things could get difficult this coming week. And we ask that you would, uh, even as you discipline us, that you would show mercy. Father, that you would, that you would uh, stay this contagion, Father, and that we would be safe. I pray for the people of our congregation that you would keep them safe. Pray for our children that you would bless them with strong bodies. And, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would all give you thanks for each and every day that you give to us and that we would sing praises to you all our life. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.